Hey everyone, this is George Crows with a special episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. And what I'd like to share with you today is actually the first chapter of my latest book, Innovate Inside the Box, on audio. It's now available on audiobook. You can get it at tiny.cc slash all caps IITB. You can see the link in the description. And I just wanted to share it with you all today to thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Because of a teacher. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, the ability to triumph begins with you always. Oprah Winfrey. Have you ever read an article or book that starts off by listing people who are successful in spite of their experience in school? As the son of a Greek mother, my well-used guilt meter registers off the charts when I see those lists. I know you feel it too. The pressure to do everything you can to ensure all students are successful. The message from those guilt-inducing pieces is that your students either become successful in spite of you or fail at life because of their experience in school, in your class. Let's turn that guilt meter down a few notches by considering the fact that those lists, wherever you find them, typically consist of about 10 people. Of course, there are more than 10 people who have succeeded despite a poor or even terrible school experience. The truth is, many people have had bad experiences in school. If you are a teacher, I guarantee that people will go out of their way to tell you about their very worst school experiences. What those lists fail to mention is that in a world of more than 7 billion people, many more people have benefited from their school experiences because of a teacher, including some people who have made a tremendous impact on the world. Do you know that Maya Angelou might not have become a world-famous writer if not for the influence of her teacher, Bertha Flowers? In her autobiography, Angelou vividly recalls what Flowers said to her. Your grandmother says you read a lot. Every chance you get, she told young Maya. That's good, but not good enough. Words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes a human voice to infuse them with the shades of deeper meaning. Her words struck Angelou as poetic, and their relationship grew as Flowers provided Maya with new books and heightened motivation to read. The world would not have the incredible works of Maya Angelou if it weren't for a teacher. Bill Gates was also influenced by an educator, a librarian in his school who helped him discover his love of reading. It's a trait that sticks with him today and one he hopes to ignite in others by supporting education. Gates reflects, Mrs. Caffier took me under her wing and helped make it okay for me to be a messy, nerdy boy who was reading lots of books. She pulled me out of my shell by sharing her love of books. She started by asking questions like, what do you like to read? And what are you interested in? Then she found me a lot of books, ones that were more complex and challenging than the Tom Swift Jr. science fiction books I was reading at the time. For example, she gave me great biographies that she had read. Once I read them, she would make the time to discuss them with me. Did you like it? She would ask. Why? What did you learn? She genuinely listened to what I had to say. If you are reading this and are in the field of education, it is very likely that someone influenced you in a school as well. If you are reading this and that is not true, I am sorry. My guess is that you are in education to be the person for kids that maybe no one was for you. In my own life, I have a long list of those who influenced me, such as my elementary music teacher, Mrs. Penrose, who inspired me to get on a stage. The skills and confidence I learned from participating in school productions as a child continue to serve me as I present from much larger stages today. Another teacher, Mr. Hobbs, 
taught me as a high school football player that leadership was not something to which I was entitled, but that came from being someone worth following, someone who could help others move forward in a positive manner. Teachers and administrators were not the only people in the schools I attended who left a positive mark on my life. Mr. Rorke, our elementary school custodian, always made time to talk to my friends and me every single day. He taught us the importance of kindness and consideration of others. I cannot remember one incident of graffiti at my elementary school. None of us would have dreamt of being so inconsiderate as to deface school property because no one wanted to put our beloved custodian in a situation where he had to do extra work. Mr. Rorke reminded me of Ron Muncy, a night custodian at a New Hampshire school who uses the vacuum to create drawings on the carpet. The students love it, of course, and rush to their rooms each morning to see the art he creates just for them. These stories and a million others serve as reminders of the impact schools, and more importantly, the people in our schools today have on students. They reminded us that, regardless of our titles, our number one job is to serve kids. They also remind us that students who feel valued in the present are empowered to grow now and in the future. The experience provided by the adults in schools is always the beginning of something, not the end. The way we interact with students matters. We know this. This belief is the reason quotes like this one from psychologist Yuri Broffenbrenner get shared so often on social media. Every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. At first glance, that quote sounds great, doesn't it? We all believe that. What's not to like? Well, let's stop for a minute and do some math on the above quote. How many years does a child spend in school? How many adults will that child interact with in his or her school career? Based on whatever numbers you came up with, do you really think that one or even five is enough? Me neither. That's why my mission is to ensure that students have positive, empowering interactions with all the adults in the building, not just a select few. It's why I talk so often about the idea of school teacher versus classroom teacher. Classroom teachers might know their content amazingly well. They might even be great with their current group of students. But those students who never come into their classrooms, those students are not the classroom teacher's responsibility. Those students belong to someone else. In contrast, school teachers do all those things that classroom teachers do within their own classrooms and subject matter. But when they walk out of their room, every child in that school is their child. We need more school teachers because kids need more than a few adults in the building who make them feel important, valued, and loved. So how do we create those positive encounters, the kind that lasts throughout the day, and more importantly, make an impact for years to come? It starts by being intentional about the words we use and the way we follow up on them with our actions. No matter what you teach, your students aren't likely to remember every lesson but they will remember how you spoke and acted toward them and how you made them feel. There is no getting around the fact that your actions and words are so important. That's true for everyone, but if you're in education, it's something that cannot be understated or forgotten. Your words, whether harsh, inspiring, degrading, or kind, can stick with people for the rest of their lives. Don't ever forget that. I've been blessed to have former students reach out to me, and it always leaves me humbled to know that I somehow made an impact on their lives. Those encounters and walks down memory lane are generally positive, 
but I remember one conversation with a former student that drove home the reality of how our words stick even when they seem to be insignificant. Before I tell you how that conversation played out, let me give you the backstory. One year early in my teaching career, as I was working with a small group of students in my grade 9 math class, a student named Kyle yelled out, for no reason, whatever, George, it shook me. Instead of pausing to consider what might be bothering him or why it shown what I perceived as an unprovoked disrespect for me as his teacher, I quickly went into defensive mode. You should know that while I pride myself on being very forward-thinking, I can sometimes also be very old-school. Calling a teacher by his or her first name is not old-school, and in my book was a sign of disrespect. I looked straight at Kyle and said, I don't know what's going on with you today, but the day you graduate high school and you turn 18, you can call me George all you want. Until that day, I expect you to call me Mr. Kroos. Kyle quickly apologized. I accepted, and that was the end of the conversation with no mention of it again. At the end of the school year, I moved to another district and didn't see or hear from Kyle again until one evening almost four years later. It was a Friday night. I got home around 11.30 p.m. and started playing around on my computer. At 12.03 a.m., I will never forget the time, a message popped up on Facebook from someone I didn't recognize. It went something like this. Hey, George. I don't know if you remember me, George, but my name is Kyle. George. George, I just want to let you know that I have graduated in June, and today is my 18th birthday. I was blown away. There were probably 100 more words to the message, and I swear that 50 of them were George. Kyle had been 18 for all of three minutes. Clearly, our brief classroom encounter, and one that I had forgotten about until just then, had stuck with him for four years. I responded immediately, Kyle, of course I remember you. I am dying laughing now, and I can't believe you remember that conversation. I'm going to cherish this moment in this message forever. Thank you so much for taking the time to reach out. You have made my night. He responded with, see you, George. Never heard from him again. I remember Kyle's personality and his incredible sense of humor. He knew I would appreciate him taking the time to write that message, but it was also a reminder that he hadn't forgotten that one brief moment in our classroom. The bottom line is this. What we do and say can stick with our students for years, even a lifetime. My constant hope is that we all strive to be intentional about building up the learners we serve. But just like my story above reveals, there is always room for personal growth. We should always be on the lookout for ways to improve ourselves, our teaching practices, and our relationships, which brings me to the subject of professional learning. And why not? Your professional learning, and mine, is the entire point of this book. In fact, the need to grow in myself is part of why I'm writing this book right now. I have heard many educators lump conferences and presentations into two categories, a warm bath or a cold shower. A warm bath is meant to make us feel good. These encouraging talks validate the incredible work that is happening in our schools around the world, and there is so much to share. Cold shower, on the other hand, it is meant to shock us into action and push us to do more. My hope with this book is to offer some of both. Yes, we need to celebrate the great things happening in so many classrooms, often in spite of all the barriers that prevent all teachers, learners, and schools from doing their best work. But we all can grow, every single one of us, including myself. I have so many examples I could share to point out the areas in which I need to change and grow, but I will start with just one. When I wrote the book, The Innovator's Mindset, it received enormous praise and a lot of positive reviews. 
It felt good to be validated and to know my message. My life's work resonated with educators around the world. Then I got my first negative review on Amazon. The review said, I love the theory behind this and the examples of people doing it. However, I would have liked to read more practical ideas of implementing it with students. At first, I was upset. As is typical with educators, or humans for that matter, we can hear 99 compliments on our work and then let two short sentences of criticism derail us. We, and I'm pretty sure this isn't just me, become fixated on the negative remark and try to justify our position and prove that the critic is wrong. I read that two-sentence review more than I'd like to admit. Eventually, though, the more I read it, the more I started to agree with it and understand the person's perspective. The book wasn't meant solely for administrators and could definitely be applied to the classroom, but did I give enough examples for teachers to embody the innovator's mindset in the classroom and give students the opportunity to embody this mindset in their own learning? I always remind people that if you want to see the effectiveness of a teacher, don't watch the teacher, watch the students and see what they do because of the teacher. So instead of shrugging off this feedback, I thought about how I could use it to move forward and make things better for education and educators. I had stressed the importance of others for taking risks and heeding others' feedback. This was an opportunity to implement my own advice. Using feedback to improve is a trait of growth mindset. Carol Dweck's impactful research and writing on the topic of growth and fixed mindsets have made a significant impact on the attitudes and cultures of schools around the world. In their book, The Growth Mindset Coach, authors Annie Brock and Heather Hundley share this quote and table that really resonated with me. Carol Dweck identified five key areas in which the actions of people of opposing mindsets often diverge. Challenges, obstacles, effort, criticism, and success of others. In the fixed mindset, a response to any of the five situations typically relates to the person's desire to look smart and avoid failure. In the growth mindset, the response more likely stems from the person's desire to learn and improve. Let's look at both fixed and growth mindset responses to each of these five situations. Fixed mindset. Challenges. Avoids challenges to maintain the appearance of intelligence. Obstacles. Giving up in the face of obstacles and setbacks is a common response. Effort. Having to try or put in effort is viewed as a negative. If you have to try, you're not very smart or talented. Criticism. Negative feedback, regardless of how constructive, is ignored. Success of others. Others people's success is viewed as a threat and evokes feelings of insecurity or vulnerability. Now let's look at those same five areas in the terms of the growth mindset. Challenges. Challenges are embraced, stemming from a desire to learn. Obstacles. Showing perseverance in the face of obstacles and setbacks is a common response. Effort. Doing hard work and putting in effort paves the path to achievement and success. Criticism. Criticism provides important feedback that can aid in learning. Success of others. Other people's success can be a source of inspiration and education. When you hear about each of the growth mindset examples, they are admirable and beneficial for all learners within a school community. Learners being all of us, not exclusively our students. But in our world today, are those traits enough? For example, when you hear about the success of others area, the idea that other people's success can be a source of inspiration and education only matters if you do something with that inspiration. 
I added an extra category to help others and myself take the necessary next step from a growth mindset to an innovator's mindset. Let's look at these five areas from the perspective of an innovator's mindset. Challenges. Challenges are sought out and seen as an opportunity for growth and development. Obstacles. When obstacles arise, the thinking is shifted to look for opportunities and possibilities. Effort. Hard work and effort are continuous, and we look to make time to create new solutions and ideas for growth. Criticism. Criticism provides important feedback, which creates the opportunity to implement new and better ideas for learning from others. Success of others. Other people's success is learned from and something we modify and apply in our own context to create our own success. Developing a growth mindset is crucial, but we can't stop there. A growth mindset is a stepping stone on our journey from knowing to doing. Knowledge is extremely important, but doing something with your knowledge is more important than ever. There is a ton of information in the world. We are inundated with it. But simply reading, studying, and even internalizing the information doesn't change the world. It's only when we take action on what we know that we can begin to solve the challenges we face and begin to make an impact. The negative comment I receive could have served as something I ignored, fixed mindset, something I paid attention to and learned from, growth mindset, or, as it did in this case, a catalyst that spurred me to create something from the feedback I received, which embodies an innovator's mindset. We want our students to not only appreciate feedback, but to apply it and move forward. We need to embody that in our own work, which is why I wrote this book. I wanted to write something that was more targeted for the classroom, something that empowered teachers and students. With that in mind, I have done my best to provide ideas that act as catalysts for actions. But ultimately, the goal is for you to modify, remix, recreate, and apply these ideas in your own context. With the acceleration of technology and information, to write a book and pretend to know or cover it all negates the diverse context in which teachers teach and assumes that there is one right way. The idea goes against the entire notion of the innovator's mindset, which I wrote to empower readers and create new and better ways to serve students, not simply rely on past ideas and knowledge. One of the top concerns I hear from educators around the globe about actually implementing their innovative ideas concerns the system within which they work. Red tape, limitations, a constant lack of funds, and a frustrating lack of support for all students are commonalities felt by educators the world over. The title of this book, Innovate Inside the Box, recognizes that those constraints exist no matter your role or location. But the system, with its rules and limitations, is never a reason not to innovate. To the contrary, the system or the box you work within may be the very reason you need to innovate. No matter what your constraints you're dealing with, you can still do incredible things for your students and yourself. Constraints will always be a part of what we do in education. If you don't believe me, ask any teacher with more than 20 years of experience to tell you which year of their career their school had so much money that every request was approved. You and I know the answer. I'm not saying schools shouldn't be funded better, they should, or that educators shouldn't be paid more, they should. What I'm saying is that we have two choices. One, we can focus on what we don't have and ignore the ability we have to impact our students every day. Or, two, we can shift the focus to the opportunities we do have and create new and better experiences for our students. No one is pretending that every day is going to be easy, even if you are an innovative educator. 
The reality is that the length of the school day has remained basically the same since I was a student myself in the 1980s. All the while, the demands for what teachers are responsible for have grown exponentially. I'm also not suggesting that you work longer hours. You need to take care of yourself emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally if you're going to be able to serve your students. I am proposing that you begin to think differently about how you do things and that you look for ways to make each day meaningful and rewarding for your students and for yourself. We all want to feel a sense of purpose in our work, but we can't count on others to create that for us. We can't even always count on people or policies to support us in our efforts to do what best serves our individual learners. The most natural response to a roadblock is to stop and turn around. I want to challenge you to innovate inside the box instead. Rather than backing up or stalling out, look for another way around the problem. Your final solution may look very little like your original idea, but that is okay. I always lead with my purpose of doing what's best for each learner to drive decisions. When you get stuck or feel as if you're spinning your wheels, try the education decision-making flowchart as a reminder of what matters most. You can find this flowchart and other images from the book at innovateinsidethebox.com audio. Begin with the question, is this best for the learner? If the answer is no, then don't do it. If the answer is yes, now think about the question, is it easy? If yes, then make it happen. If no, then you have a few tasks. Identify the barriers, find the solutions, and make it happen. This process isn't just for teachers. It's for every person who has a connection to work in education. Use these steps to keep the conversation centered on finding solutions for all of our students to become successful in meaningful ways. What you should expect from this book. Innovate Inside the Box is organized into three parts. Part one focuses on the core of innovative teaching and learning. The core comprises aspects of education that are crucial to the success of our schools and students today. My hope is that part one will refocus your intentions and actions of what will help our students to be successful now and throughout their lives. At the center of the core is relationships. They are everything. Surrounding the core are three other important aspects of education. One, creating empowering learning experiences. Two, learner-driven, evidence-informed practice. Three, master learner, master educator. Part two dives into the eight characteristics of the innovator's mindset. Here you will find practical ideas for applying these traits yourself and for developing them in your students. Katie Novak, an expert on universal design for learning, otherwise known as UDL, has co-written these chapters with me and brings a wealth of ideas for making each characteristic come to life in your classroom. From there, we explore how to bring these characteristics to life through the lens of the UDL principles. As shared earlier, if you want to see the image for the core of innovative teaching and learning, check out innovateinsidethebox.com audio. Essentially, we have relationships as the core. The three aspects we mentioned previously, which included creating empowered learning experiences, learner-driven evidence-informed practice, and master-learner-master-educator, and then another circle is added outside of these, containing eight important descriptors, empathetic, problem-finders and solvers, risk-takers, networked, observant, creators, resilient, and reflective. The final circle encompasses all of these layers, embodying the UDL principles of multiple means of action and expression, engagement, and representation.
No single characteristic thrives in isolation, and none of the solutions we provide can be copied and pasted into your work. Instead, use the ideas you find in these chapters to prompt you to find your own innovative solution in your unique context. I often say that the curriculum tells you what, but not the how. The how is what separates great teachers from others and is part of the artistry of teaching. Your teaching can be a work of art if you choose to see it that way. In the final part, we will wrap things up by asking, what now? If you are involved in education at any level, you can have a major impact on not only students, but also your colleagues. Education is life-changing work. Even as you work to change others' lives, you discover that you are growing and changing as well. In these chapters, I hope you will find the encouragement to take care of yourself so you can serve at your best. As you read Innovate Inside the Box, keep these three questions in mind. What has challenged you? What has been reaffirmed? What will you do moving forward? My hope is to inspire you to think about these three questions and create your own answers. What you get out of this book will be different from any other educator on this journey, just as it would be for your students. Side note, as a matter of practice, it's a good idea to have your students answer those same three questions regarding their experience in schools and in your classroom. Their answers would give more quality evidence of impact than any score from a standardized test could ever measure. Moving forward. As I said in my first book, what I'm sharing these pages is not meant to be an exact recipe for success. Katie and I can provide ideas and strategies, but you are the one who will bring these ideas to life. Ideas mean nothing unless they are put into action in meaningful ways within our schools. The teachers who make the greatest difference in the lives of students look beyond the here and now and inspire their students to make the world better than it is. What I want to think about is what would happen if we all embrace the innovator's mindset within our schools. What would happen if we use what we knew to figure out what was best for the people we serve to create new and better opportunities for the learners we have right now? How much better would schools be if our students could share how the majority of adults, or better yet, all the adults they interacted with in their time at school had a positive impact and inspired them to find their own path? How much better could our students' futures be? As Katie Novak and I were finishing up this book, she said something that really resonated with me. She told me, this is the only year our grade three students will have in grade three. Think about that. This is their one shot at this grade. We want to make it the best experience possible. Maybe it is crazy to think such a thing is even a possibility, but the fact that you are reading this book indicates to me that you are ready to take action and change the trajectory of your students to not only be better learners, but to create a better world. I am humbled to be on this journey with you. Let's get started. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Can it be my daylight clothes or is it just my daylight song? What I do ain't make believe. People say I sit and try, but when it comes to being daylight, it's just me myself.